So, happy Easter. <laughs> happy, happy Resurrection Day, as we like to say around here. Um, before I begin, let me, let me take this opportunity to welcome uh, so many of you that are new faces. We, we do hope that you'll fill in the little uh, connect card that uh, you were told about earlier and at the appropriate time stick them in the uh, baskets up front. I do want to remind you that we have, uh, starting this coming week, we have small groups. Um, we, around here we call them transformational groups because some are not too small. Uh, small groups beginning this week, and there are some um, yeah, sheets out front here where you can sign up for those groups. Um, some are studies of books of the Bible. Some are topical studies. There's a men's study. There's a women's study. There is uh, a marriage course. The Alpha Marriage Course actually begins in two weeks, right? The 29th, is that right? In, in two weeks here at the church on Sunday evenings. Um, many, many opportunities for you to uh, get involved in maybe a little deeper uh, understanding of what uh, Renovation Church is uh, and what God has for you in, in your life. Um, today we begin a... Oh, one other thing. As you leave today, you will notice that there's a lot of people out here on the highway. I'm going to suggest that you go out of here and head north on 17, and then you can either do uh, what I do often, go in right beyond, beyond uh, McDonald's and do a U-turn and come back out at the light, or you can go up a little bit further. It will be impossible to make it across the uh, highway here, so think about, you know, the other people that are behind you. Think about the people coming in and think about your own safety trying to cross uh, four lanes of traffic. Head north, if you will, and then uh, head back south if that's the way that you need to go. Uh, we begin a new series today. We don't normally have uh, a fence up around the, uh, the uh, platform here. Um, John built this fence for us this week so that we could present today in some way uh, our new series called The Fence, Are You On It? In other words, are you sitting on the fence? Are you a fence sitter? We're going to look through this series. It's about six weeks long. going to look at some of the people in the Bible who, when we look at their lives, we could consider them maybe fence sitters. Today we're going to look at Thomas, the guy that we call Doubting Thomas. Was, was he on the fence as a doubter or as a believer? Um, in subsequent weeks, we're looking at Joshua, the rich young ruler, Saul, Esther, and then the last week we'll be looking at Paul, who, who was not a fence sitter. Paul was definitely firmly planted on one side or the other of the fence, and we're going to look at where he planted his feet. But today we begin with uh, the first fence sitter, this fellow named Thomas, who was a disciple and then an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. And since the first century, people have known Thomas by this uh, name, this, this title that was given to, given to him, Doubting Thomas. Whether you're Christian or not Christian, I imagine that you've heard the term Doubting Thomas. Oh, they're Doubting Thomas. They, they just don't believe uh, what we're telling them. I mean, we can lay out the facts for them and they're still going to doubt about it. Um, Doubting Thomas is a, is a label that we've given to skeptics, not only today, but throughout the centuries. But when we take a careful look at the Gospels, uh, we will see that maybe 
we can have a different understanding of Thomas, that maybe he's not as doubting as we thought, and maybe he's a man of great faith and dedication. So we're going to look at three different passages. All, all that we know about Thomas is found in the book of John, the gospel of John in the Bible. And we're going to look at three different passages where uh, Thomas is mentioned. In this church, by the way, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, <clears throat> the only rule for our faith and our life, and we adhere strictly to its teachings. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 11. We're going to start there as we look at uh, Thomas. As a background for this, Jesus was doing some ministry on the other side of the Jordan River from what is present-day Israel today, when word came to him that Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, a family that he knew very well, a family that we think he probably stayed with when he went to the Jerusalem area for um, the different feasts that he would have celebrated, this brother, Lazarus, had died. Jesus received this message, and on hearing it, this is what he said to his disciples. Um, chapter 11, beginning at verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, here's Thomas, our friend Thomas, Didymus, which means the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus had already decided in his own mind that this was the time for him to go back up to Jerusalem. Despite the reminders that you'll find in the first part of this uh, same chapter, verses uh, 1 through 9, uh, these warnings by his disciples that if he would go, it was very dangerous and it might mean death for him. And fully realizing all the danger that was involved with, with all of them going, Thomas still said, let us also go that we may die with him, with Jesus. He was that dedicated, that devoted to his Lord. And Thomas, as well as all the other disciples, the rest of them, believed that because of the hostility of the Jewish establishment, mainly the church, the synagogue, the, the, the uh, high priests, the uh, scribes and Pharisees and the others in, in control, if you will, of the religion in, in uh, Jerusalem. Because of them, they, they were pretty sure that going to Jerusalem for Jesus and for them would be certain suicide. But Thomas took the initiative, encouraging all the other disciples to go with Jesus and, if necessary, suffer the consequences with him. So we see that Thomas was some sort of a leader. He was obviously pessimistic, we'll have to give him that, about the outcome of this trip. But his pessimism, if you think about it just a minute, his pessimism makes him all the more courageous. If he were an optimist, 
it would not take nearly as much courage to go because he would be thinking the outcome couldn't be as bad as, as uh, he's thinking as a pessimist. But as a, as a pessimist, he expected the very worst. So it took a lot of courage for him to uh, follow in this uh, trek, this journey to Jerusalem. But he was willing. He was willing, and he was willing to lead the others with him as well. Thomas was willing to pay the ultimate price for the sake of his Lord. And I, I think that you would agree with me that um, this kind of willingness to die for Jesus was hardly the mark of a doubter. It showed a great deal of courage and belief on his part. Thomas was willing to die for Christ because he totally believed in Christ. If Jesus was determined to uh, go up to Jerusalem and face certain death, then so Thomas was willing to go to Jerusalem with him. Because the alternative to that, in other words, being without Jesus, was unthinkable to Thomas. He would rather face death than to betray his Lord. The second reference that we find about Thomas is in um, John chapter 14. The scene here is the upper room following the Last Supper, and Jesus is urging his disciples not, not to be troubled. Don't be troubled, he said. And he assured them that he was going to prepare a heavenly place for them. And if he was doing that, he, he would come back and get them so that they could spend eternity with him. Look at John 14, 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I, if I go, uh, excuse me, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And Thomas didn't quite understand this. And with a puzzled expression on his face, he said in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? How can we know the way? Thomas and the other disciples, I believe, too, had little comprehension of of what Jesus had just, just said. I think they really thought that he was talking about going on a long journey to maybe a distant country somewhere. Thomas was bewildered by this. He was saddened. He was anxious. His pessimism, but also his love, showed through in this moment. His pessimism made him fear. Fear that somehow he was going to be uh, separated permanently from his Lord. And his love for the Lord made that fear unbearable, absolutely unbearable. Now, when Jesus heard uh, this question from Thomas, he knew not only the words that he had spoken, but he also knew Thomas's heart. So, when Thomas asked, how can we know the way Jesus said to him in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one 
comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, Jesus was saying, then you know the way. And if you are in me, you are in the way. Your only concern is to be with me, and I will take you wherever I go. Wherever I go, you'll be with me. Kind of a comforting thought. The third text is probably the most famous. It's in John chapter 20. I'm actually going to look, look at a couple of parts of it. When Jesus, Jesus was crucified and buried, all of Thomas's worst fears had seemed to come true. The very worst that he could think in his pessimism had happened. Jesus had been killed, but the disciples were spared. Their master was gone, and they were left alone, leaderless and helpless. And for Thomas, that was a fate worse than death, which, if you remember, he was perfectly willing to accept. He felt forsaken. He felt rejected. And he probably felt betrayed. Now, I don't know about you. You may be here today with some of those same feelings. You may feel forsaken. You may feel rejected, rejected by someone or something. You may feel even betrayal, perhaps betrayal by a family member, betrayal by a best friend, betrayal by a spouse, by children, by parents. Those are the same feelings that Thomas had. Jesus' promises for Thomas and the other disciples, it seemed, had been empty. They were sincere and well-meaning, yes, but, but they rang empty, had an empty ring to them. Because Thomas loved Jesus so much, that feeling of rejection was all the deeper for him, and it hurt that much more. It, it seems that our deepest hurts are only accentuated by our greatest love. Somebody that's a complete stranger may say something that hurts uh, you. But when somebody who is close to you, somebody that you love, somebody that loves you greatly, says something that hurts you or does something that hurts you, it cuts to the, to the bone. Very painful. Very painful. Look at John um, 20, verses 19 through 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Well, so the other disciples told Thomas that they had seen the Lord. You would think he would be happy, but he probably felt like salt had been poured into the wound. He, had, he was in no mood for any fantasies about this risen Lord. 
He wasn't going to get hurt again. Nobody was going to do that to him again. When Thomas heard that Jesus was raised from the dead and was alive, how did he react? Well, Scripture says in verse 24, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he, this is Thomas, he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. You see, a person who is depressed, especially if he's also a natural pessimist, is hard to convince that anything, anything is ever going to be okay anymore. And because Thomas is convinced that his bad circumstances and situation are permanent for him, just the very idea of any sort of improvement not only seems unrealistic, but it can be very irritating. I don't know how many of you have ever been depressed. I don't know. I hope, I hope not. But there's that point in depression where you just don't care. And you don't want some cheery person walking in the room. That's the worst thing that can happen. Get out of my life. Let me suffer here by myself. Or if you want to come and suffer with me, wallow in the depression with me. You don't want to hear anything cheery. You don't want to hear any good news because it doesn't make any difference. My life is what it is. The person whose mind is confined to, to hopelessness, for that person, even the idea of hope can be offensive. None of the disciples, none of them, not just Thomas, none of the disciples could believe that Jesus was alive either until they saw him in person. When he appeared to them again, he singled out Thomas, this Thomas, this doubting Thomas, who loved him enough to die for him. Verse 26 says this, a week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, to doubting Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And in one of the greatest confessions in the entire Bible... Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. At that instant, every bit of the doubt was gone, and, and Thomas knew with, with full certainty that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus is alive. He didn't have to doubt that anymore. 
In that one instant, he went from being a doubter to a believer. And then Jesus gently instructed Thomas, saying these words in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's us. Each one of us here, none of us here has seen Jesus in flesh and blood. And yet many of us believe he was talking to Thomas about you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I hope you can count yourself in that number. If, if Jesus is not God, and if Jesus is not alive, then the gospel, this good news message that we have for the world, this gospel is just a foolish and futile deception. And, and it's even worse than bad news, it's horrible news. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 17 through 20 from the message translation says this, if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and His resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first of a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Amen. <laughs> it's hard to believe. It's easy to doubt that this is true. It's so easy to doubt. How could this possibly be true? How could it be true? Sherlock Holmes says, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable it seems, must be true. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is alive today. Doubting Thomas. There were other miracles that were done. If we look at uh, the end of this verse 20, uh, uh, chapter 20 of John, verses 30 and 31, uh, John records this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Boy, would I love to know what some of those are. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That's why this book was written. I told the uh, folks at first service today, I've, I've often thought how I would react 
if I were living in the first century and Jesus was here walking around in flesh and blood? Would it be harder to believe than it is today? I mean, I struggle with that. Would, would it be harder for me to believe here's a, a, a human being that claims to be God. Yeah, he performs some miracles, but how can I believe that? We have the privilege and honor of having a book here that's recorded not only his life, but all the promises of his life throughout the Old Testament part of this book, and how lives were changed after his uh, walk here on earth, and how it's still changing, really, how our lives are still being transformed. It's much easier for me to have a document like this that we believe at Renovation Church is true and without error. I can trust in Jesus. I can trust that He's God. I can trust that He's the Lord. I can trust that He's alive. Just as sure as the sun rose over here this morning, Jesus is alive today. I can go to Buddha's tomb. Buddha's in his tomb. I can go to Muhammad's tomb. Muhammad is in his tomb. I have been to Jesus' tomb. There ain't nobody home. He's risen. He's not there. He's alive. He's alive. Doubting Thomas, as he was called, um, carried on with ministry even after Jesus went, ascended back up to heaven to be with his Father. And tradition holds it that, that Thomas's ministry carried him as far away as India. There's a church in Thuravula, India, southwest India, that bears his name, Mar Toma Church, still in existence today. And they trace their beginnings, their origin, back to this Thomas, this doubting Thomas. Tradition also has it that Thomas was killed by some natives in India by a spear that went through his body. What an appropriate ending for a man who came to believe when he could thrust his hand into the side of our Lord where a spear had been. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I don't know whether you are here today as a doubter, I don't know whether you're sitting on the fence and you really don't know which direction to come off on, the doubt side or the belief side. I have no way of knowing that. Only you know that. But I know that Jesus is God. I know Jesus is Lord and I know that Jesus is alive. I know that Jesus is the way because he said he was the way, the only way. The definite article that's used there means that he is the one and only way. There's not alternate ways. He is the only way 
for us to spend eternity with him and his Father in heaven. And he's up there preparing a place right now, he says, for each one of us. What a great homecoming that's going to be. So where do you find yourself today? In doubt? In belief? Not sure? Maybe saying, I will never buy this load of garbage. That's okay. That's okay. Here at Renovation, Walt said it earlier. We're all about you belonging here before you believe. We think if we can make a welcome place for you to come, where you can come and maybe hear the Word of God, He speaks much better than we do. He has something to say to you. And maybe your doubt, just maybe your doubt, can turn to belief. Maybe you can be transformed, whether it's in the Sunday morning service or whether it's in a small group. We invite you to come and be a part here. But even more importantly than that, I'd like for you to take a moment to kind of take stock of where you are today, this Easter day, this resurrection day. Where are you? If you're a believer, great. You can help me right now. If you're not sure or if you are a doubter, Jesus would like to invite you to this very day, this Easter day, move from the doubting side of the fence to the believing side of the fence. He would like for you to trust in Him because He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through Him. He would like for you to consider praying a a brief prayer that you can pray right now, not out loud, but in your heart. You don't have to speak the words. It's a simple prayer. The first part is thank you. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to take my place on that cross, to pay for the penalty for my sins so that I might have eternal life. Second part would be sorry. I am sorry, God, for the things that I have done, the things that I know I should not have done that I found myself doing. I'm also sorry for the things that I didn't do that I know I should have done when you called me to do them. And the third part of the prayer would be, please send your Holy Spirit to reside in me, to live with me, to empower me so that I can do the things I'm supposed to do. I can't do it on my own. I've tried and failed time and time again. I fall short every time. Send your Holy Spirit to dwell in me so that I can accomplish the things that you want me to accomplish. Not my life, your life, Lord. If 
If you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up. Or... But at the end of the service or while we're having communion, we will have some ministry team members that will be back here at this area of the room. And they'd love to talk to you. They'd love for you to tell them, tell them that today, this Easter Sunday in 2012, before the Aztec calendar ends, you came and made a decision for Jesus Christ. You're trusting Him. You're no longer doubting. You believe in Him. They would love to pray with you and talk with you and maybe give you some more uh, information that could help you on that journey. The conversation that Jesus had with Thomas in the upper room where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life was the night before he died on the cross for us. And it was at a meal, a Passover meal, that those words were spoken. At that Passover meal, he took bread found there on the table. Just common, ordinary bread. Nothing special about it. And he broke the bread and he said, Friends, this, this is my body, which is broken for you, and for you, and for you, and for you. For each of you. My body, broken for you. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He gave every last drop for you and for me. You know, I think I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this and seeing myself down in here. I think as Jesus looked into the chalice, the cup, what he saw was a reflection of the cross. He knew what the next day would hold for him. He knew he had to do this for you and for me. And I think in addition, when he looked, somehow or other, he saw each of our faces. <laughs> he knew. He knew who were the doubters and who were the believers. He could see us reflected in the cup. He invites you to his table today, servers. He invites you to his table today. At Renovation Church, we do use wine. If you choose not to, we have juice available at either one of the uh, stations, if you'll go right here. Take just a moment to prepare yourselves. Then come to this table that has been set for you at the invitation of... Christ, the risen Jesus, who is God.
who is the Lord, who is alive. You can drop your connect cards and any gifts that you have in these two baskets. Remember the the prayer team will be here for you, for you today. Come to his table.